This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The food professor offers his take on the price freeze at Loblaw stores. Will Ontario's mask mandate make a return? I chat with Canadian musician Stephen Page about his new album. Hamilton's ice rinks tackle climate change. Forge and Cavalry renew their rivalry. And a big donation to the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. Find out more as the GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900. CHML. This is a result of the pressure that we've put to say that it's proven our point that grocery stores are actually actively able to set prices and governments should play a role in stopping greed from driving up the cost of food. That's the voice of federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh commenting on Loblaw's decision to freeze prices on its no-name products until January 31st. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. And so is Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. He's the food professor and professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Dr. Charlebois, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Your reaction to the news from Loblaw companies? Uh, it was, uh, I think it's, I mean, right now Canadians need all the help uh, they can get. And it is it is going to be help. It will provide some uh, predictability, I guess, to the grocery store and and some immunity against any sticker shocks for a while, three and a half months. It is the largest campaign I've seen around the world, right? To price freezes, uh, we've seen. I think in France, I think the largest one I saw was three hundred products. This is fifteen hundred, so it's quite a lot. We've seen other countries, as you mentioned, France make this move. Why did it take so long for it to happen here? I don't know. Uh, and Loblaw did call me last week about uh, about this, so I was aware that uh, there was going to be an announcement yesterday. But I did tell them that uh, that uh, the company was at least a month late, if not more, because uh, the criticism is just uh, amazing. I mean, everyone believes that grocers are gouging, and uh, and Ottawa is looking into this matter. I was just summoned yesterday by Parliament to testify next week. I mean, the image is just not good. So obviously, they needed the, the PR move to, to to make a difference. But the but the head scratcher, to be honest with you, was last night with Metro's statement, uh, suggesting that um, well, Metro tried to undermine Loblaw's campaign by saying, well, we it is industry practice to freeze prices of privately labeled food products in November, December, and January. And when I saw that statement, and uh, it was quoted by CTV News, I believe, and then after that, CBC News, I thought, well, this sounds like collusion. Uh, you're not supposed to be doing that. I, I think what Metro meant is that sometimes grocers will, uh, will have blackout periods when they don't accept increases from suppliers, which is per- perfectly fine. But what, what Metro suggested last night in a public statement was that they are colluding with other grocers, which I found quite troubling. 
How much maneuverability do grocery store chains have in terms of setting their prices, and is price gouging a factor? Well, so uh, they they do they do manage very tight margins. Uh, I know everyone is talking about profits, record profits, and yes, profits are up, but uh, in in money wise, two uh, percent in twenty twenty two doesn't look like a two percent in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. That's that's the challenge with with numbers, and uh, I know that Jackman Singh is, has been pounding on that drum for a while now. Uh, but we haven't seen any evidence of, of greedflation or abuse by grocers at this point. But it doesn't mean that there's no abuse. In fact, we are concerned about some verticals like dairy or, or even meat and, and even bakery as well. Uh, some verticals real, will require some investigation for sure. Uh, so I don't, I'm, I'm of the mind that uh, I don't think grocers are responsible for food inflation because costs of food up the food chain have gone up. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy, and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. We're talking about Loblaw's decision to freeze prices on its no-name products until January 31st. I know Metro has tried to throw some cold water on this, but is Metro and other competitors going to follow suit? I, I think I, my, my guess is that yesterday when the announcement came out, uh, both uh, Empire Solbase and Metro panicked because uh, Metro's statement was not very well worded, <laughs> really, and frankly incriminating. And so they had to respond, and of course, implicitly, they basically said, well, listen, there's, no, there's nothing unusual about Loblaw's campaign. And, uh, but again, if if... Everyone has frozen prices uh, across the industry for through three months every year. That's not legal in Canada. So I'm hoping that uh, Parliament MPs on the Ag Committee will be asking specific questions related to Metro's statement because I actually think that today today is going to be mainly focused on what was said last night by Metro. Uh, last one for you, and we got just less than a minute. We've heard from the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers that says the price freeze at Loblaw is going to hurt smaller grocers because this could lead suppliers to raise prices for those independent smaller grocers. Do you agree? Uh, it's a point of view. Uh, it's a point of view. I'm not surprised by the by by the CFIG's response to uh, to uh, to this to, because Loblaw. I mean, basically, Loblaws is is the only company which can do what it did yesterday because of of its private labels. Both No Name and Present Choice are incredibly powerful private labels. No one else has the same thing. And when you actually own a powerful private label, you're in control of supply chain economics. And that's why others, other chains, other independents are reacting to try to undermine what's going on right now. That would be my guess. Dr. Charlebrat, it is always a pleasure to talk to you and have you on the show. Thanks for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take that care. is Bye-bye. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Seeing a slow and progressive rise in the number of COVID cases. Uh, The percentage of tests that are positive is going up this week. The number of people in hospital and in our intensive care units is also going up in Ontario. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin waking you up. Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, saying that if the hospital system is strained, Ontario's mask mandate may return. Although, he said it would first recommend that masking in places like malls, public transit and colleges and universities before mandating a mask mandate, if you will. Dr. Moore says he's not ready to also say that Ontario is in an eighth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, if you're keeping track, we've been through seven of these. Thomas Tenkate is a professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Thomas, good morning. Hello, Thomas, do we have you? Uh, yes. Hi, hey, Rick. there you are. Uh, the masking approach that we have seen over the last number of years obviously has differed over the last few months with the mandate uh, long gone. What What's your best guess on what we might see going forward in terms of masking? Yeah. Well, I think what what you know what they what uh, Dr. Moore is really saying is that there's these various indicators of increased risk, and so then you have to say, well, what, what are the uh, measures to take? And so the, really the easiest, <clears throat> easiest measure for the, from the community perspective is, is uh, vaccination, but the other aspect, other measure is masking. And so, so then if we're thinking of masking, you have to say, well, what are the high-risk areas in which people congregate? And so, so then you have to say, well, that's going to be transit, uh, crowded indoor areas, uh, where, where people are going to congregate, congregate. So, so I think you know that they would sort of look at those sort of higher risk sort of uh, areas where people get together and uh, take a you know uh, together for a longer period of time, and then they could roll out uh, to the broader community after that. This is being discussed because of the extremely low uptake of the uh, fourth shot or the, I guess the second booster, particularly. Um, for Ontarians age 70 and older. I think it's around 15 or 16%, which Dr. Moore called um, unacceptable. How, how big of a factor is that playing into a potential return to a mask mandate? Yeah, yes, definitely the, you know, it, it's, it's this combination of measures that we, we, we what mean, make us more effective in regard to controlling controlling infection risk. And so, so, it's, so if, if the, um, the second booster if that if there we don't have a high enough rate in for for people with that and particularly for the people who are at most most at risk who are in the over 60s uh then then that sort of puts a lot of pressure on saying we have to look at the other measures to to counteract the 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 uh that say the vaccination that isn't, isn't working so so i suppose it's 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 a balancing game but it's uh it's sort of saying well if if people if the vaccination isn't working then we have to look at other measures to to take up the slack that vaccination isn't isn't providing protection for uh, of interest as well is you know his words in terms of you know if the hospital system is strained you could probably make an argument that it is already strained but my guess is he's talking about increased hospitalizations due to the illness yeah de- definitely it's it's a combination of uh, increased hospitalizations because of COVID, but we're also starting to enter the you know influenza season and so so uh, there's going to be increased uh, hospitalizations for that. And, you know, if we look at from a history perspective, the last 
two Januaries, we've had the had our highest peaks then. And uh, when I look at the data moving into those periods, we're, we're actually at much higher rates for these various indicators now for for the peaks previously than uh, than what we are now. So so it means that if if based on these various indicators, it it's saying we could be looking at a very high peak uh, in January unless the uh, vaccination rates really ramp up. Thomas Tenkate is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Tenkate is a professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. We're talking about the potential return of Ontario's mask mandate, uh, the uptake of COVID-19 booster shots. We're on shot number four and to that end. This is, you know, and even Dr. Moore kind of mentioned this, this is probably going to be an annual thing where we get a booster just like we've been getting the flu shot for many years now. Do you think it's just going to be the one shot, though, that we get in the fall months to prepare us for those cold indoor winter months? You know, I, I think, you know, when you look at what what's effective and what's sort of sustainable, yeah, you, you would have to say let's, you know, the, the, the one shot uh, at the at the right time is probably the best way to go. Given, given people's lives and when they can fit in getting, you know, additional uh, boosters, you know, and, and also, you know, if it's possible to try and have a, you know, we've seen various combination uh, immunizations. And so, you know, maybe longer term, there might be some sort of combination for both influenza and whatever the, you know, but whatever the current variant for both influenza and and covid is you know that that could be an option as well to so so people don't have to get you know multiple boosters each year for for different different uh different uh you know infections. Yeah, it's, it's clear that uh, there is some booster shot fatigue and mask wearing fatigue there's no doubt about that. Uh, Thomas really appreciate your time as always thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, thanks very much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Thomas Tenkate, professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. If you haven't received your booster shot, appointments can be made uh, through the provincial booking system, your local public health unit here in Hamilton, um, pharmacies participating in this as well, as well as healthcare providers. So uh, get your booster shot now in preparation for whenever this eighth wave is going to hit us. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML. Well, from time to time, we get an illustrious guest on the show. And today is no different. Stephen Page is his name. You know him, you love him. Award-winning Canadian musician, singer, songwriter, producer, one of the founding members of Bare Naked Ladies. And he joins us now on GMH. Stephen, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? I'm good. You have a new album out, Excelsior, your your first album in four years. What does it feel like putting out new material in this whole new world? It's well, uh, partially terrifying, because you know, one of the things about it is you just have no idea whether a record is going to come out and just disappear the moment you put it out there, because there's so much music that's out there, which is fantastic for music fans, and the access that musicians have to the ability to put their stuff kind of on an equal footing with all the other music out there is pretty amazing. But it's a, it's a pretty packed marketplace right now. I read that seven of the 11 tracks on this album are kind of intertwined or linked. How, how so? Yeah. Yeah, the first, you know, when, when the vinyl version of this record finally comes out, the world vinyl shortage kind of catches up to the, to, uh, to uh, production, then we can actually, I can, you can kind of see this. It's a three-sided album. Um, so, you know, two two discs of vinyl with one blank side. And the first two sides, the first disc, are kind of a suite of connected songs that are about 
about loss and about uh, and trying to find uh, connection when you feel alone, which I think is you know something a lot of us have dealt with, whether we've actually lost people in our lives or whether it just feels we've lost two and a half or three years of our lives through uh, the pandemic and the kind of isolation we felt then. It's, and, uh, it's about looking, looking outward, outward at things bigger than ourselves, you know, whether those are kind of spiritual pursuits or, or uh, scientific ideas. And try to tie it all together. You, you know, just little stuff like that. Yeah, you have been uh, hosting a uh, live from home virtual concert series uh, pretty much since the start of the pandemic. Is is this album kind of based off that? A lot of it was certainly inspired by it. There's a song called Zoom, which uh, is almost self-explanatory about uh, the fact that you know we I do these concerts. Um, the next one is actually on the twenty second. Um, where I do these concerts over Zoom, and you know, hundreds of people from around the world show up, and they keep their their cameras on. So not only can they see me, I can see them, but they can also see each other. And over the course of the last few years, a lot of them have become really good friends with each other and created this great sense of community. And as much as I tend to be ah, maybe a little cynical about um, technology and you know big tech in general, this is really helped me and a lot of other people connect with each other over the last few years. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Stephen Page, award-winning Canadian musician, singer, songwriter, producer. He's got a new album out called Excelsior. For tour dates, tickets, upcoming shows, you got to check out his website, stephenpage.com. You mentioned the next uh, at-home concert series is October the 22nd. How has the whole working from home, performing from home, impacted or influenced your music-making mojo? Um, well, you know, early on when the, when the pandemic started, I thought, oh, I'm going to get in there and finish off this album that I've been working on, and I'll have all this spare time to myself. And I think a lot of people thought, you know, I'm going to write the great Canadian novel, or I'm going to you know, write a screenplay or whatever the thing. I'm going to learn how to bake sourdough bread. <laughs> and you kind of like wade into it. And I felt like this, like time slowed down. Like, you know, a 12-hour day felt like an 18-hour day. But then at the end of the day, I would look around like, what did I complete? What did I actually accomplish? Kind of nothing. That's always how I felt. But then when I started doing these live streams, it gave me a way to be able to mark my week. Because especially, you know, musicians are bad at this anyways. Unless you have kids who are going to school Monday to Friday, it's really hard to get a sense of what day of the week it is. And when I had these shows every Saturday, um, I could actually kind of mark that off. But I put a lot of my creative energy into building these live stream shows that uh, you know, it took me it took me quite some time to to uh, you know really invest or, or decide to finish off this record, which was more you know in the last year that I've done that kind of stuff. You launched your tour in the UK last month, belting out hits from your new album Excelsior and the uh, Stephen Page Trio, fresh off a set of shows opening for the Who. What was that like? It was incredible. I mean, you know, the Who are the first band that weren't the Beatles that I fell in love with as a kid. So to be on the road, you know, playing, whether it was the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto or the United Center in Chicago the other night, and you know, playing these huge arenas with my trio, which is just myself, Kevin Fox on cello and Craig Northy on guitar, so no drums, no bass, um, opening for the Who. So it seems like a daunting task, but every night we were able to connect with the audience and get a really great response. And the who were really kind to us and, uh, 
welcoming and uh, i just my only regret is that there weren't more shows <laughs> you're back on the road november 11th for the first leg of your uh, american tour and then you're launching more canadian concert dates next spring does it does it feel a little bit different when you're on stage in canada opposed to elsewhere well the difference in canada is largely the fact that there are just more people who remember me from longer ago you know you'll have people who people be like oh i used to see them on Speaker's Corner in 1988, or that kind of thing, mm -hmm. where, you know, in the U.S. you have fans who may maybe came around in the late 90s. But um, the nice thing is the people who are fans kind of now have figured out, you know, they've, they've, they've listened to all the music and have connected with stuff over the different eras. So, um, you know, I think there's there people now with this much perspective um, they're a little bit more on the playing field, but Canadians do have that kind of extra special history along with along with the fan, the uh, love of the music. Well, this new album Excelsior has a great sound to it. Uh, my favorite track is is Zoom. Uh, you know the song, not uh, not the uh, online technology. That is for sure. Uh, Stephen, really appreciate your time. Best of luck with the album and the rest of your tour that's coming up. Oh, thank you. It was great to talk to you. That is Stephen Page, award-winning Canadian musician, producer, singer, songwriter, has been entertaining the masses for years, and this album sounds really great. You heard uh, one of the hit songs, Zoom, off the top there, and it's punchy, it's catchy, it's bouncy, it gets your toe tapping, your finger snapping. It's a, a great little tune. If you want to catch any part of Page's upcoming tour here in Canada. It's going to arrive in the spring. Go online to stephenpage.com. Tickets, info, merch, a whole lot of fun, and uh, some samples of the music on that website as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we all know about climate change. It's created shifts in temperature in the spring and the fall months in particular that is, well, throwing a few curveballs here, there, and everywhere. It's had an impact on a number of things including ice rinks out in Winnipeg, for example. That city has had to delay the opening of some of its rinks because their older Freon-based cooling systems can't get the arena cement slab cold enough to make the ice, which is obviously a problem if you want to play hockey or go figure skating. So what's happening at Hamilton's ice rinks and other facilities that have to deal with climate change issues? Tom Chessman is the manager of energy initiatives with the city of Hamilton and the senior VP of Hamilton's Renewable Power. Tom, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. How are you, Rick? I'm good. So uh, I guess climate change has impacted Hamilton's arenas, yes or no? Well, certainly, like it has uh, any particular building um, that has to adapt to outside temperatures uh, and any system that's uh, uh, making ice on uh, on warmer days is certainly going to going to work harder. So uh, that's absolutely uh, a yes. And uh, I think the question that you're raising is, you know, what are some of the things we can do about it? Yeah, before I get to that, I just have an interesting question in terms of, you know, the bigger the arena, is it harder to cool? So would it, would it be harder to cool first Ontario Centre as opposed to Dave Andrzejczyk Mountain Arena? Oh, boy. Well, that's, uh, I, I, I'd hate to bail on you, but it, it's definitely, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> so it depends on the type of refrigerant, the ice making equipment, um, you know, uh, there's different types of systems and of course the age of the system. So right. I hate to g give you a, uh, an answer like that, but it certainly depends. And uh, First Ontario Centre has had a relatively new ice plant, ice making equipment, uh, ammonia based system installed not too many years ago. And so it's fairly efficient. Um, 
Um, and then, of course, you get into other factors like the building itself and, and how good that uh, heat exchange is, is going on throughout the system. So it gets into the technical details a little bit, but suffice to say, you want a nice uh, high efficiency uh, ice making equipment or plant uh, to get the most uh, and, you know, lower your energy and, and emissions footprint, if you will. How are Hamilton rinks reducing their carbon footprint and becoming more energy and thus, I guess, cost efficient? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, I think this is a, a mantra that can apply to, to many operations, not just rinks, but um, our focus is on three uh, key elements, uh, whether it's climate change, energy specific aspects, um, and optimizing uh, any operation, you look at efficiency first. And as I was saying, the, the ice plant needs to be as efficient as possible. So as that system's getting uh, ready to be replaced due to age, uh, we want to look at making wise investments in in high efficiency equipment and then of course optimizing the equipment that we have so there's controls that you can put in the ice plant uh, to ensure compressors aren't running as long or as hard as they should and uh, so there's there's controls and other systems that you can optimize um, so that's the ice plant and you want to make it as efficient as possible then you get into lighting and low e ceilings and, and other equipment like that so again it's efficiency first and to get to that uh, really, the uh, the plan is to get uh, you know what is our pathway to net zero, and and developing that plan and developing the steps that we need to take to get to net zero is what the city's also focused on. So, after efficiency, uh, you look at renewable energy. If you've got everything as efficient as you uh, can in a facility, uh, then you look at potentially adding renewable energy, whether it might be solar panels on the roof, for instance, um, and that's your second major step. And your third uh, step to get you to that that pathway to net zero or, or over the net zero hurdle, if you will, is uh, in the long run, look at uh, carbon credits to get you over the finish line. Again, to, that's to the pathway to net zero. So Our those guess. three elements really resonate in terms of efficiency, renewables, and carbon credits. Tom Chessman is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tom is the manager of energy initiatives with the city of Hamilton. We're talking about uh, energy efficiency at uh, local hockey rinks and local facilities. And you mentioned the net zero plan. Uh, Hamilton has a, uh, a climate change action plan that is uh, trying to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. When it comes to uh, local rinks, local facilities in town, it sounds like a lot of investment has to be made to get to that point. Yeah, you're right, Rick. And and there's been some significant projects done in the past. Uh, we have looked at lighting. That's a pretty straightforward option. Uh, but you want to look at um, LED lighting to get your energy use down or your energy use per square foot is how we like to measure it in, in a building. And uh, lighting, um, certainly the source, uh, uh, the, the efficiency of that source or LED is typically the, the way you want to go right now. And then, of course, controlling it, making sure it's off when nobody's in there. Uh, believe you me, that's that's uh, uh, that does happen. I walk in uh, arenas sometimes, and I do see the lights on, and that that's a big that's a big no no in in our world. So we want to keep the lights off, as simple as that, as well as being very efficient. The low E ceiling I'd mentioned earlier, uh, the low emissivity uh, reflects the heat from the ceiling that might be coming down on the facility. Uh, even in winter, you can get 
some nice sunny sunny days and the heat can transmit into the building so that shiny silver film that you see above an ice surface and all of the rinks in Hamilton have had these installed uh, reflect that heat back away from the ice surface and that way the ice uh, making equipment doesn't have to work so hard so yeah so those are the those are the key elements beyond the ice making equipment that we focused on and delivered in many of the ice uh, 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 the arenas I should say uh, throughout the portfolio. Last one for you, and we got about a minute. Um, where are we on the net zero emissions by 2050? Are we, are we almost there? Are we halfway there? What, yeah. what kind of percentage would you put it at? Yeah, so uh, we do have an interim goal for the city's corporate assets. And, and just to be clear, there's community-wide numbers as well. But just looking at all of our corporate buildings and assets and operations um, that include arenas, we had a target of 50% emission reduction from our base year of 2005. And uh, due to a lot of reasons, uh, COVID being part of them, uh, part of the, <laughs> that impact, we have actually got to our 50% emission reduction uh, already effective last year, uh, as we've reported in our annual energy report. So we're, we're quite pleased that we've got there. Uh, we have a lot more work to get to that net zero goal in 2050. And so we're not slowing down. And we, we, again, have many things to do to get to that to the net zero following that mantra I talked about of efficiency first, renewables, and then carbon credits last. Well, already lots to celebrate in this city. And uh, whether your son or daughter is playing hockey or figure skating, using a, a local rink or a local facility, you will know that the city is uh, doing their best to make it as energy efficient as possible. Tom, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. That is Tom Chessman, Manager of Energy Initiatives with the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Huge game for Hamilton's Forge FC as they take on Cavalry FC this Sunday at 5 p.m. It's the second leg of their Canadian Premier League semifinal. And joining us now to talk about it is Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC. Bobby, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Uh, Forge and Cavalry played to a 1-1 draw last weekend in Calgary. Were you pleased with that result? Yeah, pleased with the performance. I thought, you know, we could have had a little bit more out of the result and coming out of there with a win. And, you know, now everything uh, sits in our hands on this uh, return leg in Hamilton. Uh, win, and we're off to our, our final. It was a... Uh a roller coaster ride last weekend in Calgary. Cavalry broke the deadlock just before halftime uh, with a big goal uh, in the first leg of this semi. What was your message to the guys at halftime? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was uh, we'd been in that situation before playing in, Cal- in Calgary this year, um, going down uh, in the match, and then each of the matches we'd played there, we'd turn the score around. And, you know, it was the same thing. I think we had a brilliant first half. We got caught on the counter on one of those goals and just gave the guys the confidence to go out there. And it, uh, Worked out in the first minute of the second half. We've tied up the match. Yeah, big-time goal in the 47th minute by Wubens Basias. How big has he been for your team here in 2022? Yeah, he's been excellent. You know, he's one of the young rising stars of the league and obviously for our club and scored some immense goals for us um, throughout the season. And uh, when you get into this time of the year, you need your guys in the front line uh, to do the business, and it's uh, important for him um, to get that goal, and it just gives him the confidence as we keep on moving forward. There were six yellow cards in that game in Calgary, in leg number one. Was that an indication of how spirited the rivalry is, or just how intense the playoffs are? I think it mostly comes down to the playoffs. You know, it's it's games that nobody wants to lose, and uh, when you get into this time of the year, uh, we all know that uh, you're trying to extend your season as as much as possible, and that's the most important thing for us, and I think that's what brings those moments out in the game. 
So now you're back at home uh, for Jeff C. is great home and away, but there's a different feeling playing in the playoffs at Tim Hortons Field. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, whether it's the playoffs or it's uh, early on in the season, we love playing here. We love playing in front of our fans, in front of the community and the beautiful stadium we have here at uh, at Tim Hortons Field. You know, it's it's given us an exceptional, uh, you know, way of playing and gives us a lot of motivation. And we're looking forward to uh, to a big crowd on Sunday Sunday at 5 p.m. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC. They're taking on Cavalry FC this Sunday at 5 in leg number two of the Canadian Premier League semifinal. The first game was 1-1 out in Calgary. Uh, Back to those yellow cards, does that at all play into the strategy for leg number two this Sunday? I think when you look at the playoffs, you know, you're taking it one game at a time. You know, you're not trying to think uh, forward uh, after that and what happens if a player gets a yellow card because the biggest goal is to get to that big match. Um, so we just uh, use the lineup as we feel is going to give us the best opportunity to win this game, and sometimes you have to take those risks on what it means in the future. That big match is the CPL final. You guys have been in this semifinal position a few times before. Uh, talk about that experience and how it's helping your players not look too much forward into the future. Yeah, we've got an experienced group here with a lot of players who have been at the club for, for four years, and that means they've played in the championship games and semifinals. They've played in a lot of these two-legged affairs in, in CONCACAF, in which we've played many of them over the past uh, three years. And I think you, you take all of that confidence with you, and that's also an experience in the room that's uh, brought on to the younger players, as we have many of them this year in the squad. It's going to be a great game. It always is when Forge and Cavalry get together. Bobby, we wish you all the best this coming Sunday. Thank you very much. That's Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC. It's Forge and Cavalry, the Canadian Premier League's most intense and interesting rivalry. Kickoff this Sunday, 5 p.m. at Tim Hortons Field. If you want to be there, get your tickets now. ForgeFC.CanPL.ca You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Within this great city is a great museum. It's called the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum, and uh, over the weekend, it uh, celebrated with its 50th anniversary gala. And at that event, it was announced that the museum is taking ownership of three planes and is going to be restoring these aircraft. Dave Rohr is the president and CEO at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm great. So these three planes are coming into the museum, and I, I understand that some have already been here, and they're going to be restored. What kind of work are we expecting involved in this project? Well, the uh, three airplanes, which are all really important airplanes in the Canadian military aviation history, the CF-100, uh, which was a fighter in Europe in, uh, in the 50s and uh, protected the skies of Canada in the late 50s and 60s, uh, it is the, uh, a static uh, jet. It's a large uh, twin-engine jet, and, uh, all, and it was an air defense fighter. It will be on static display, so we don't have to really restore it. It's in original condition, in very good condition. The Sabre, uh, Canadair Sabre Mark VI, which was flew with the Canadian Hawks, which was a very famous uh, aerobatic team of the Royal Canadian Air Force, Again, it's also static and in original condition, so we won't have to really do much to those airplanes. They've been on display for years with us. But the Spitfire, the Supermarine Spitfire Mark 16, which is an extremely original airplane and flew into the uh, the museum in Ottawa, the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum, when it was uh, given to the museum from the military, 
been on display with us for 20 years, that airplane will be restored to flying condition, and we'll have a Spitfire over the skies of Hamilton within 18, maybe 24 months. Wow. Now, to do this, you're launching a fundraising campaign as well. Tell us about it. Yes. Uh, well, you know, the overhaul of the Merlin engine, giving us $0.72 cent dollar is about $200,000, and then we'd have to overhaul the propellers, look at all the uh, the flight control systems, the uh, hydraulics, the air systems, the electrics, the avionics. So to do all that and and, uh, and maybe do some uh, um, actual physical work on the flight control systems, uh, a lot of the uh, components of the airplane are fabric uh, covered, so we may have to do some fabric uh, work as well. The, that whole uh, project will probably take two hundred fifty to $300,000 Canadian to accomplish to put it back in the air. But the asset is probably worth about three and a half to four million dollars, so it's certainly worth doing. And uh, so we're going to kick off a fundraising campaign uh, very early in the new year to get the spit back in the air. What kind of impact are these three aircraft going to have on people who come to the museum and they want to, you know, uh, take a step back in history? Well, it's going to be, uh, you know, it, they've added. Uh, just being a static uh, display, they've added to the display of the museum for many years. But do, can you imagine the Lancaster flying over the skies of Hamilton with a Spitfire on its wing? Two iconic World War II airplanes that had a major role in, in our efforts to preserve democracy and, and ma- maintain our freedom. And uh, there's no other. Toronto doesn't have it. Uh, Ottawa doesn't have it. There's no other place in the world except for the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight in uh, RAF Connie'sby that has that display, and we're going to have it right here in the Hammer. Really special. That's pretty. Uh, that, that is pretty amazing. Do you have a timeline and when these three aircraft are going to be on display? Well, the uh, the CF one hundred and the uh, Hawk are uh, the uh, the, uh, the Saber Golden Hawk is already on display. The Spitfire is on display as a static airplane. So we'll take it off display once we start the uh, the restoration to re- return it to flying condition. But the other two are already on display, and actually you can even sit in the cockpit of the CF-100, which is pretty mm-hmm. neat. Awesome stuff, and it's happening right here in Hamilton at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. Dave, always appreciate your time. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Dave Rohr, President and CEO of the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. Uh, if you haven't been to the museum, you you got to go. It's one of the hidden gems. I shouldn't even say hidden gems. It is a gem in the community. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.